Well, my name is Jose, if we haven't met, and we're in a series, this is week three, called Emerge Brighter. What in the world is that? Um, we often find ourselves in dark places, whether that's something that's happened to you, happened in your family, your, your business, your school in this uh, pandemic season, or it's just the darkness in the world around us. It seems like the older I get, the more farther things are getting from the way of Jesus in our culture and in our land. And what do we do with that. Um, and we are, I don't know if you realize it yet, we're all working through a global pandemic where we're all trying to figure out what does the word normal even mean? Like, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Like, what in the world is that? Well, in all of that, what we're doing to prepare ourselves for today and tomorrow is looking at the Bible. How do we emerge as Jesus's people brighter? Jesus said, you Speaking of his disciples, you're the light of the world. And collectively, you're a city. We are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. There should be something going on in our lives, right, that prepares us to represent Jesus well in the days ahead. So what do we do? If you're new, we looked at the reality of darkness. We're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in the Bible that are meant to be read together that chronicle what actually happened when God's people were in their darkest place and how God brought them out. And what we want to do is learn from them how, how God is going to bring us into the space that he wants us to be and the people that he wants us to be. Um, recap, history, what had happened God had given people his presence. He called the people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, said, go to the land I'm gonna show you. He shows them this land. This group goes from one family to 12 tribes, and God keeps his promise, and he gives them a space to worship him. At the center of the space is the temple where God meets with people. He gave his people his word, the law, uh, the Torah, the teaching, how to live in, in life with God and in life with one another in a way that pleases him. God had given them everything and they fall short again and again. God's people, if you read the Bible uh, carefully, you realize that even though God was generous and loving and caring, everyone does their own thing. Sounds like us. God's good. He gave you breath this morning. He provided for yesterday. He's been with you your whole life. But sometimes, even when God is good, we can find ourselves doing our own thing. Well, God sent messengers reminding them, come back, come back. Stop rebelling, stop resisting. It's not gonna work out. And so Israel and Ezra and Nehemiah gives us what happened after their darkest hour. God said, if you don't listen, I'm gonna remove my blessing. I'm gonna send you away. And the temple was destroyed and the land was crushed. God's people were moved out to be slaves 1,500 miles away in a place called Babylon. But God always gives a word of hope and says, look, if you just call on me, if you call on my name, if you return to me, I will bring you back. Ezra and Nehemiah is what happened when God's people did just that. In their darkest hour, they called on him. And what happened? How did they emerge brighter? Well, we saw a couple of things. We saw in week one that it starts with the heart. God turned and stirred the heart of Cyrus the king and he stirred the heart of God's people and it begins with the heart. And when our heart gets right and we listen to God, he's faithful and he brings them back and what was their goal? Rebuild the temple. The first thing that's rebuilt 
in their life and in their land was the worship of God as the center of everything. And friend, don't miss the obvious. The first thing that God wants us to do if we're gonna emerge brighter as Jesus' people is he wants to get a grip of our heart and reprioritize our lives where God's presence, God's space, God's word is central. Don't miss this moment. It's easy to start well and get off track because that's exactly what happens. We saw by chapters four, five, and six of Ezra last week that God's people got distracted. They started well, Zerubbabel came, thousands of people came, they rebuilt the foundation, temple was started, worship began, but they stopped. They got distracted. And for 16 years, we saw last week, 16 years they didn't finish what God had clearly set them out to do, which is the reminder, maybe God's got your attention. Some of you, you're back at church or considering church or reading the Bible or thinking about Jesus because this world's got messed up. And I say that's good. It's a great place to start to let your heart get set right with God. But if you're not careful, what will happen is you will start exploring Jesus and then get distracted and off track again. That's exactly what happens. But God said messengers again. Zechariah and Haggai and others and said, set your heart to your ways. God says, look, if you prioritize me with your life and you, you fulfill my purposes, then things are gonna go well for you. And here's the good news. We saw last Sunday, they didn't. They heard the word of the Lord. They set their heart to their ways. They stopped making excuses like we often do. We just make excuses why God can't be the priority, why Jesus can't be the priority, why the kingdom of God is not that important. What I'm doing is more important. And so what we want to do now is see what happens when Ezra comes. So three movements of God from his people in Babylon back to the land. The first movement, Zerubbabel, temple, worship. The second movement happens decades later under a person called Ezra. We're gonna look at Ezra 7, 8, 9, and 10. But before we do it, I want us to ask the big question that's gonna drive this part of Ezra and hopefully a thought on how we emerge as brighter people. Worship first, we stop making excuses. But let's ask the honest question, where are the gaps between our belief and our behavior? That's the question for the day. I hope you have your community group. So guy, those of you online, just go to our website. You can click and download this. It's meant for discussion. We're doing this on purpose when we're in our community groups because we wanna ask important questions that come from the Bible, but that bring the Bible to life today. Where are the gaps? Not are there gaps for all of us. There are gaps between what I say I believe and how I behave. Where are they? And we're gonna see a big gap and what God did to stir the hearts of the people to close the gap between what we believe and, out, and how we actually live. Ezra 7 verse 1 says this. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, and then I'm going to skip all the wonderful names of his family lineage, this Ezra came up from Babylon. Well, all you need to know about his family lineage is, is that Ezra is a priest that traces himself back to the original priest, uh, which was Aaron that God had set apart as his spokesman generations ago. Well, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. 
Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, they also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And so here's what we need to know. The first wave was about the rebuilding of worship in the temple. Now, this is 60 years after the temple had been built. What happens? Who's Ezra? Ezra's a priest. Priests stand between God and the people, invite people into the presence of God. But you just don't come to God flippantly because what we're going to see is what God is like today. And so Ezra is one of these people that reminds people you're invited to live with God, but here's how we approach him because God is greater than we are and so we have to come in the right way. He's also a teacher. He knows the words that God had given Moses centuries prior and now we're gonna see the gap. There is a gap between what people think and know and how they live and we're gonna see that gap exposed here in chapter nine, just jump ahead. What's, what's going on and what does Ezra have to say? Chapter nine, verse one. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. There were other people who, who were originally from this land. And what you need to know is when God had originally given them this land, he warned them. These people are following gods that are not the true God. And the way they live is out of line with my way, says the creator. And so I've given you my word, but you didn't know this. If you marry and bring these people into your family, it will not go well with you. Rather than drawing them to follow me, the creator, what's gonna happen is they're gonna bring in practices and ways of living that are outside of, of my heart, and so, so don't do that. Now, what happens here? Verse two, they had taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them and the leaders and officials have led the way in this Underline this word, unfaithfulness. All we need to know is what they had done was not seen as faithful to following God and, and it was at every level. Leaders, officials have led the way. And so there's a gap between what they supposedly believe in and how they're living. And when I heard this, notice his response, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. It was a it was an expressive way of saying, oh, something is wrong and my heart is broken. Therefore, I'm showing that my heart has been broken. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this sacrifice, uh, because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from myself a basement with my tunic and cloak torn. Again, an external sign of saying something's wrong. And I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord and prayed. Um, this is a, a helpful reminder. It's possible to be drawn into things that are not at the heart of God without even realizing it, just because you see other people doing it. It's possible. Even if you're following Jesus right now, if you're not careful and you don't pursue Jesus and know him well, to follow the practice of other supposed Jesus followers who are out of line. And that's what happens here, and it's at every level. 
But when you come to grips with where you are in light of who God is and what God has said, what do you do? And what you see is beautiful. Ezra and the people realize they are off. And so it shows up in Ezra's prayer. Just keep reading the middle of verse six. I too am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the day of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. Notice not theirs. Ezra says, our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. But, but now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant, a group of people, and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. He's there at the temple. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He's granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he's given us a wall of protection in Judah in, and Jerusalem. Uh, okay, so what's happening here? Ezra has heard the word and has seen it himself and the leaders confess that, okay, we are out of sync. What, what we say we believe about God and God's call, um, we've not lived up to that and, and now our lives are wrong. And what do they do? They recount God. We remember that our forefathers before us did the same thing. We're not the first to mess up, but generations ago, God, you gave us the land and we didn't listen and God, you sent us away and it was our doing, we, we didn't listen and God, you've given us reprieve. You've given us this window, you've given us a new opportunity and God, here we are and, and we've messed up again. Verse 10, but now, our God, what, what can we say after this? We've forsaken, not, not you, not they. We've forsaken the commands you've given through your servants, the prophets, when you said, and then he, he just quotes the Bible. The land you're entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruptions of its peoples. By their detestable practice, they filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, don't give your daughters in marriage to their sons and take their daughters for your sons. Don't seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that they may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting in inheritance. Okay, a lot of words, but what you need to know is they were ignoring the Bible. I'm gonna use the Bible as a term because they didn't have what we have now as the New Testament, but everything God had told them and spoken, which is right and true, they were ignoring the Bible. And there's the gap between what the Bible says about God's people and how we're to live and how we're actually living. So their situation here is God had said, look, don't intermarry. It's less about cross-cultural marriages and more about practices that dishonor God. They, they were giving their lives to people who had no intention of exclusively following Yahweh in our language, sold out and following Jesus. And so in marrying these people and bringing their family into their family, what was happening is they were taking on these small practices that seemed right in the culture, but was against 
God and, and didn't honor him, they were repeating the sins of their forefathers. See, this wasn't new. By the way, your sin, my sin isn't new. Our, our rebellion isn't new. Just read the Bible. It's the pattern of people, different names, different places, different faces, but the same old story is true. God is faithful, God is kind, God is loving, God invites us close, and we come for a moment, and then we do our own thing. And so what happens here is they come to grips with, wow, God had said these things and we're not doing it. So, so while they did have the temple, they had the place of worship, there were parts of their lives that were dishonoring to God. Now the good news is it wasn't all of their life, it was part of their life, and so we have to ask the question, where are the gaps between what we say we believe about God and what the Bible, what's true, and how we're actually living. Where are the gaps between our belief and our behavior? Now, what do we learn from this section in Ezra uh, that's going to help us to emerge brighter as Jesus' people in our day? Now, there are two things. I'm going to focus on the second one mostly, but both are equally important. I think the first thing we see here is the importance of grounding our lives in the Bible. Amen. Grounding, not reading the Bible, not listening to the Bible, grounding our lives in the Bible where we see what God has said as like the best way. And no matter what the culture of ites, you know, they had the Jebusites and the Perizzites and all the Hittites and Egyptians and all the ites, we have people in our day that are good people, kind people, made in the image of God people, but are not grounding their lives in God. And we're living in those neighborhoods right now. And so the question is, will we ground our lives in the Bible? We need to know what God has said so we can live in God's way. So the goal here, hear me, is not to get you to read the Bible more. That's a noble goal, and I hope you do it. I actually want to go one step further. I'm inviting you, God is inviting you, to ground your life in him. And the greatest way for me and you and us as a church to encounter Jesus and experience life is in and through the Bible. It's alive. It's not just ancient words on a page and I've got Plato and Socrates and all the philosophers. Ancient reference, those of you 80s fans and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Um, but it, this is not about... It's about just knowing these words versus those words. God is the author of the book. Amen. And he's alive, which means what he has said is alive and life-giving. And I wonder, and this is crazy, this sounds so basic, but it needs to be said, and this is what was keeping this generation of God followers from experiencing all, all that God had for them, was they had put aside the Bible as second place. And the way you know that is because they chose to live in opposition to the Bible. Uh, do we see the importance of grounding our life in this book? I, I love worship concerts and I love to be in God's presence and sing songs and that's, that's wonderful. And I love talking, you know, about life and God and all that's well and good, but, but I encounter Jesus the most every time I open the book. Amen. It's alive. Now, if it's alive, why do we... Treat it so lightly, 
See, what I want us to see is what we learn from Ezra is when we treat God's words lightly and we don't take them passionately, we end up all off course. Now, hear this. This is a lifelong pursuit, so don't get a guilt trip. You say, well, I haven't been reading my Bible a lot. This is a lifelong pursuit. I've been following Jesus, as far as I know, for about 42 years. I'm 112. And, and no, since I was about seven, that's when I first started realizing this Jesus is amazing. And you know what? It's been up and down, but I have to say, like, I've grown more and more in love with the Bible over those years. And so here's a warning. Warning. Hear it. See it. The longer you follow God, if the Bible does not grow in you, just watch where your life goes. If you let this book become just, well, I read it before I read it last year. Why read it this year? or I read part of it, why read the old part? It's just too weird. If you let this book become a shelf thing and not a life thing, watch where your life is headed. Because that's what happened to them. They, they didn't live according to this book and it ended up having negative implications. And that's not God's heart for you. So the goal here is to ground. This is a lifelong thing. There are umpteen tools to help us kickstart our knowing the Bible and loving the Bible and reading the Bible and hearing the Bible and growing in it. But I'm just concerned for us. Okay, I can't speak to anyone else. I'm concerned that during COVID, we have fallen less in love with the Bible and not more in love with it. And we've run to things other than God for our hope. So the first thing we do is we make worship central, Ezra 1 through 3. We stop making excuses. We get back to God's ways, Ezra 4, 5, and 6. And Ezra 7 through 10, we fall in love with the book of the law. Because all Ezra does is read the Bible. And they're convicted to the heart. Now, what are they convicted about? This is number two. That was number one. That was supposed to be lighthearted, and I ranted, assuming one person needed it. If not, at least I got it off my chest. The second thing is the importance of pursuing holiness. The importance for the Jesus Father. If we're going to emerge a brighter people, we're going to have to pursue holiness. Now, I said holiness, and some of you immediately thought like, oh, I'm just seeing like really trendless clothing and tasteless food, and absolutely weird and boring. You mean the person who's not allowed to do anything. That's a skewed view of what it means to be holy. In the Bible, holiness or holy is about being unique, um, about being separate, set apart, like, like nothing, like no other thing. See, God is unique, and God is separate, and God is Set apart and God is like no other. When you look at the Bible for the word holy or holiness, it most often refers to God. He's the creator and he's set apart. There's no one like him. He's unlike his creation. It's why the first thing he says, have no other gods before me and don't make me into an image. Why? I am not like that. I'm greater than that. He is unique. He's in his, his own category, which is why the Bible often calls God holy one. The whole idea of holiness comes from, comes from God, Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will I compare me? Who's my equal? Says the Holy One. So being holy first starts with recognizing God is unique and like no one else. 
a helpful quote to sift through what does holiness mean for us. It says, throughout scripture, holiness is preeminently a characteristic of God himself. So when we think about the word holy, we need to think about God. Now the terminology is used to signify that God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, like unlike no other, he's distinct, he's separate from everything that's been made, and he's different from the gods of human imagination. So, so the people lost track of God. They didn't realize who they were serving. God is holy. Now that's a challenge for us, by the way, because we are so unlike God so often. So what do we do? How, how do an unholy people connect with this unique, set apart like no other creator? Here's the good news. I'll continue the quote. Remarkably, however, God also chooses to dwell amongst those he has redeemed. They are, quote, sanctified or they're made holy. That's the same thing, by the way. By God's manifesting himself to them, drawing them into special relationship with himself, and making provisions for their sinfulness. So underline this, the holy people of God are then called to live in a way that demonstrates the reality of their relationship with God and with one another. Take a photo. That's a lot to think about, end, end quote. So listen carefully here. When I think about the Bible and holy, and I think about this definition I want to list out three things in order that we need to get in proper order. Otherwise, we're going to misunderstand God's holiness. Three things, you can just write them down. God rescues or redeems a people. Holiness begins with God. God makes people and he calls them in a relationship. He called Abraham to himself. He calls Israel to himself. And he says, I want to be with you. To say that God is holy is also to say that this God who's the creator is inviting us to live with him. And he, he, he took Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and he rescued them and said, you're gonna be my people and I'm gonna give you land and you're gonna worship and live with me and I'm gonna show you how to live. You're gonna love one another and the whole world's gonna fall in love with me, says God, because they're gonna see our relationship and they're gonna be jealous. They're going to want what you have. God is holy and he redeems the people. Second thing is God makes these people holy. What makes this group have the ability to have a relationship with God? It's that God made them unique. He set them apart. He made them like no other. And so he gives them his words and he gives them his presence and he gives them his ways and says, look, I'm all yours. Get this right. God is holy and then he makes a people holy. Then third, God provides a way for them to live holy. It's in that order. See, some of us have a misunderstanding of God's holiness and say like, well, I'll never, I can't, I would like to follow Jesus, but I'll never make it. I'll never live up. It's putting it in reverse order. Well, if I follow what God says and try to please him, then God will let me be part of his people, but that's never gonna happen because I'm gonna fail. And then out, out of that, yeah, I can experience God's rescue and it's out of order where the Bible puts it in the right order. God rescues us and makes us holy. So when you think towards Jesus and the New Testament writers, they could say unequivocally to God's holy people. You see, when you and I choose to follow Jesus, he 
makes us holy. It's not like I live for him and I live perfectly and I get it right and I read the Bible and I follow the Bible and then God accepts me. That is, that is the wrong order and that is the recipe to frustration and burnout and legalism that is unattractive to everybody. God calls people and he says to the craziest people, you get to live with me. Why? Because I want to. And when we realize that, oh my gosh, God loves me enough that he's gonna actually give me the ability to walk with him. He makes me holy. He calls me his son, his daughter. And then, if that weren't enough, he says, I'm gonna enable you to live with me. So I'm gonna provide ways of forgiveness when you sin. And I'm gonna provide wisdom so that you don't sin. See, we gotta get the order right. And here's the beautiful thing, we can. So what happens in Ezra 10, let's get back to Ezra for a moment, is God's people get it right. Verse one, Ezra 10. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping, throwing himself down before the house of God. Notice what happens when Ezra recognizes he is part of a holy people that are not living in a holy way. He talks to God. He doesn't run from him. And that's a word to us. Hey, you messed up this day, this week, this year, this life. You just failed. Um, you're not alone, by the way. And if you have failed, what, what the invitation is today is to return to God. He calls on God. And what does he do? He confesses. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't, he doesn't blame shift. He, he says what's right and true. God, you said we would enjoy you in the land when we honored you and didn't bring in these other relationships that are not life-giving. We've done that. And, and he weeps. He feels it deep in his soul. He sees this as wrong, and he throws himself before the house of God. And then a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, children, they gathered around him, and they too wept bitterly. So it wasn't one person. They all recognized their need for God. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God. Here's how. By marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But notice this line. But in spite of this, there's still hope for Israel. This is so good. In the middle of his prayer, a holy people recognize that God is a God of hope. And he doesn't call us to confess and weasel and say, okay, we'll never live up. Sorry, God, we failed. No, there's hope. So verse three, now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Let's let the Bible inform our life and let's return to live in a way that honors God according to the Bible. Rise up. This matter's in your hands. We'll support you, Ezra. So, so take courage and do it. And the rest of, the rest of Ezra is how they, they step into a life of obedience and move from confession to say, God, we're not gonna play games. We did it and we'll own up to it to now returning to the right way to live. And this, this is the beautiful thing is when God's people get to the place of honesty and openness, they can emerge brighter. So what do we do? When we stumble, not if, when. When we stumble, we return to God. 
And we call on his name because he cares. And we confess, we're open and honest. And, and together, we, they confess it, not just Ezra saying, I did this, or one person. They collectively said, we, we own this. We've done this. And God, we know that there's hope. So here's what we're going to do. Return to you and return to your ways. And we're going to trust that you're going to make something beautiful. We take action and we correct the things. So it's, it's one thing to say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's not what they say here. They say, God, we have been wrong, and with your enabling power, we're going to do what's right. And, and again, in their particular thing, it had to do with who they were marrying and the relationships they were keeping, and the details of our life might be very different, but the pattern is still the same. Okay, so we, we want to we return to a to getting our lives grounded in the Bible, and we want to live lives that are pursuing holiness, knowing the right order. God rescues us, and, and then when we're a rescued people, we now realize we're holy. We're not God, but we're set apart to live for God, and God's actually given us the way to live holy. And we say, God, we know, I'm going to make excuses why I can't. I'm, I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going to go your way, and I'm going to follow you. Why does this uh, pursuit of holiness matter? I want to take us briefly to the New Testament because the biblical writers, in light of Jesus, when you look back to Ezra and Nehemiah and the return of God's people to a life where they're, they're in touch with their God and they're following his ways, in light of Jesus, this is what he tells this group of people in this city who were the church. He says, as for us, we can't help. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. We can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters. Notice, loved by the Lord. We're always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. Notice, holiness begins with God. God says, I want to bring you. And he says to the people in the church, hey, you got here because God loved you. And now, because of your faith in Jesus, you're a brother and sister. A salvation that came, this is so beautiful, through the Holy Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the church. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news and now you could share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this. This is like Ezra and Nehemiah in light of Jesus. God, who is holy, calls us, and as you heard the good news of Jesus, that he died and he rose again, and that he loves people who are far from him, and he paid our sin debt in full, and he's alive, and he's offering a new life to anyone who will follow him. When you hear that good news, and you say, Jesus, I hear it. I'm following. I'm going after you. He gives you his very spirit, his presence, which makes you holy. You say, well, but Jose, I keep sinning. Absolutely true. But what's most true about you, Jesus follower, is that you have been set apart by God in the deepest place to know him. And you can, and you are in touch with him. Don't believe the enemy's lie that when you and I sin and stumble and fall, that God says, sorry, I'm done with you. What's going to separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Now, disclaimer. You can still destroy your life. 
It's not going to separate you from the love of God. But if you choose to actively participate in things that are unlike Jesus, if you ignore the Bible, your life on earth might be shrapnel. But God still loves you. And there's hope for Israel. There's hope for you. So you say, okay, Jose, the last two years have not been awesome. There's hope. The pandemic has my rhythm so off that I am now so addicted to everything that is unlike Jesus. Great! That's a start. There's hope. Because Jesus gave you his spirit. You are holy. That means you're already able to know the God who made you. Now, he's given you every tool to live holy. How do I live holy? Verse 15. So with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, notice what he says. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. You know what that sounds like? Read the Bible. The words that he was speaking are the scriptures that we now have. Know God by knowing what he said and stand firm in it. Take what God is, I'm afraid that some of us just don't know what God is saying. So how are we gonna follow him? So the, the invitation for us is because God is holy and has made us holy, now we can live close with God and enjoy him. And, and so Paul ends this with a prayer. And he says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has already loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you. When I stumble, what do I need? I need to be comforted. I need to be brought back and strengthen you so that I can resist temptation in every good thing you do and say, Jesus already loves us and has already called us and is already moving and he's already saying, but I keep sinning and stumbling. Yeah, so do I. But God has provided a path to live holy and the way he does that is Jesus on the cross said it's finished and he defeated sin and death forever and so now what do I need to do? Like Ezra and God's people in the past, we turn to him, it's called repentance. We turn, we turn from our sin to the God who's holy and notice Ezra, he's like full out. He tears his clothes as an outward sign saying, I am messed up and he gets on his knees and he cries out to God and says, God, I'm not making excuses. I need, I need your hope and I need your life. And there are times where that is the best thing that we could do. So the right response for us is to stand firm in what we know, fall in love with the God of the Bible by reading the Bible Amen. and learning to live grounded in the Bible, not as an exercise in learning a book, but as an opportunity and invitation to know God. And when I know God, he will give me the ability to stand firm. Stand firm in what? In forgiveness. When I stumble and fall, and when I sin, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and clean me from all wrongdoing. So now it's better if we don't sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with God the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I'm slightly lit up about this because I feel like some of us have just lost the plot line. And Jesus is saying, return to the plot. Return to me. I'm hoping for our church that 
wanting to live a holy life is the most normal thing possible. Ever met a holy person? Somebody's like, man, they're close to Jesus. You know what I usually find? I have a few people say like, man, they are close to Jesus. You know what I usually find out about them? Is they're very cognizant. They're very aware of their own sinfulness and brokenness. Living holy doesn't mean like, I got this. It means I am aware of my leaning away from God. And I'm dependent on God to stay close to God. It's never a point where I get there, but it's a point where I want to get there. God is holy and he's made us holy. And I pray that we'll live in the freedom of, of living in a way that honors God. Let me just ask you, where are the gaps in your life? It's easy to talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, but it's easy just to look at them and, and forget like us and now. And as we see the gaps, here's what we wanna do. We wanna step in and like the people of God, come to him and pray and ask and invite and say, God of hope and God of heaven, come and meet us here and enable us. Now here's the good news. They got it right. And, and, and they turned in God's direction. It wasn't perfect, but it's beautiful. And the same could be said for us. We're invited. So I'm gonna invite you even now to stand if you would. And you're at home, don't check out because we wanna, we wanna engage with God's presence and we wanna invite the Holy Spirit to now do that deep work. If you are following Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear about that. You have God's person living in you. God is living and working in your life. So the invitation is not to resist the Holy Spirit, but to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So if God has brought some things to mind in your life this morning, uh, that you say, okay, now I recognize, I see some gaps. The, the invitation this morning is to return. Return to God and return to his love and return to grace and return to mercy. So we're gonna open up as we sing. Uh, we have an area in the back of our room. For those of you online, you could just do it through the chat. Uh, you can invite someone to pray with you now online. One-to-one, it'll drop you into a little chat room and you can share about what's been happening and, uh, and pray that way here in the room. We're gonna invite you as we sing this next song to step out of your seat and just make your way towards the back and some friends are gonna be there and they would love to pray with you. God's blessing and God's mercy and God's peace over your life. But, um, but it begins with coming to God. So if you're here this morning, you say, oh, I'm not even following Jesus. Fantastic, glad you made it. Uh, you should start like right now, like literally right now. Uh, you should begin and just simply ask God, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Now, Jesus, will you rescue me? I, I'm not making excuses. I made a mess of my life. I'm full of sin. I'm rebellious. But Jesus, I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that you died in my place and you rose again, and you have the power to remove my past and set me on the path to life with God, and I am in. You don't have to say it like that. You can keep it shorter. Jesus, save me. Just like, save me now. Why don't you do that? Do it now. Close your eyes if you would, if you're here in the room without any distractions and confusion with anyone else around you. We're gonna sing a song. But if you're here this morning, say, Jose, I just, I just need to get right with God, like right now. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up just so I know who I'm talking to and then I'm gonna ask you to put it down. I'm gonna pray for you and we're gonna respond with the song. All right, one, two, three. If that's you here in the room, just put your hand up real quick. I need to get right with God. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. Anyone else? 
I need to get right with God. Yeah, on the side. Fantastic, you can put it down. Anyone else here in the middle? Yep, thank you for your honesty. You can put it down. Lord, we want to come clean. We all need your grace and mercy. And so we receive it now in Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you paid for it all. Now we turn from it, Lord, and we turn to you for all that we need. God, rescue us, we pray, and help us to live a holy life. In Jesus' name.